You're listening to the Revolution Church Podcast. To learn more, including our gathering times in Crossville, Tennessee, visit us at CrossvilleRevolution.com. And we're going to start a new series today called Christian or Not. Uh, Before we get into it today, I want to share with you guys a pretty traumatic story that happened to me when I was a kid. Uh, One day, uh, and this, this seriously, like this is one of the biggest reasons that I have trust issues today uh, with people. Uh, one day I was playing outside and uh, I came inside my house and sitting on the counter in my house was a plate of chocolate chip cookies. Now, my mom wasn't too big on sweets, okay? So the fact that there was a plate of chocolate chip cookies, uh, I just thought, oh man, this is incredible. Well, I pick up one of these chocolate chip cookies and I take a bite of it and I quickly realize something was really wrong. What I thought was a chocolate chip cookie was actually a raisin cookie, y'all. I know. I'm still trying to get over it today. I'm thinking about going to counseling for it. I don't know. You know what I mean? Ever happened to anybody in here? Yeah. You think it's chocolate chip? I was scarred for life, y'all. I couldn't tell the difference between the raisin cookie and the chocolate chip cookie. In fact, I've got an example right here. If you look at these two, you can't really tell the difference between which one is the real one and the good one. See, y'all got to understand, I love cookies. Is anybody with me? Like cookies are my favorite dessert. They're incredible. That's the most amens. We'll get the whole sermon right. Yeah, for cookies. That's right. Jesus loved cookies. The devil made raisin cookies. Y'all know what I mean? That's theology right there. You know what I'm saying? But this is the real cookie. This is the raisin cookie. We don't need no raisin cookie. Y'all know what I'm saying? Get thee behind me, Satan. Y'all know what I mean? We start a new series today called Christian or Not, and what we're doing is we're taking a look at different belief systems, religions, uh, and cults that the world looks at and says they're Christian. But what we're going to do is we're going to unpack them and realize, no, actually, they're raisin cookies. They look like the real thing, but when you take a bite of them, you quickly realize you have a mouthful of doo-doo. Y'all know what I'm saying? That's what it is. That's what it is. Horrible stuff. So we're, we're, we're going to do this series called Christian or Not. And by way of preface, again, I would encourage you to pick up a book called The Kingdom of Cults by Walter Martin. He's since passed away, but they continue to update this reference. Hundreds and hundreds of pages on some of the most uh, popular belief systems that are out there. And let me tell you this. Um, Why are we doing this series? Because this is going to be really heavy theologically. Uh, We're going to be drinking out of a fire hydrant, so to speak. Uh, We're going to be doing a lot of teaching, not as much preaching in this series. Three reasons why we're doing this. Number one, uh, if you're here for this entire four-week series, I really believe we are going to give you the foundational Christian doctrines every single week, and you'll walk out of here knowing what those foundational doctrines are. Uh, 
Essentially, we're going to go over what's known as orthodox beliefs, or maybe you've heard the term orthodoxy before. Orthodoxy is referring to the foundational beliefs of the church uh, that really began when the church started. And anything that falls outside of these foundational orthodox beliefs, it's recognized that that typically falls outside of Christianity. Today, what we're really going to do is we're just going to look at the six core really orthodox beliefs, and we're going to compare what Christians believe out of the Bible versus what we're going to look at today believes. Secondly, we want to identify the marks of cults, especially, again, Christian or not, right, with a question mark, especially what the world would call Christian cults. You know, we think of them as Christian in the world, but really they're not Christian in any way, shape, or form. So we're going to give you today alone four different marks that you're going to be able to recognize when you hear preaching, when you hear teaching, when you're reading a book, when you see a YouTube video, when you see something on Instagram uh, that are going to give you pause that will, if you identify these four things, it will give you what we call a check in our spirit and the Holy Spirit will say, hold on just a second. Uh, something's off here. Here's a red flag. Thirdly, we want to equip you guys with the knowledge of truth and expose lies. Again, we want you to get this foundation of orthodox beliefs. Get off the milk, so to speak. Get on some meat. Milk's really good. Amen, y'all. But I had a steak yesterday, and there's nothing like it. So we want you to enjoy the meat of what we believe at the same time, we want to expose lies and uh, make sure we do that. So let's go to 2 Peter chapter 2 today. Let's look at verses 1 through 3. And what we're going to do first is uh, we're going to read these three verses, and we're going to take a look at four different attributes of false teaching that the Bible gives us in 2 Peter chapter 2. And then as we as we really dive into uh, the belief system and the religion that we look at today and compare it to what we believe, at the end, we'll find out, uh, does this belief system, Mormonism is what we're going to look at today, does it qualify itself with these four attributes that we're going to see in Second Peter chapter 2? It says this in verse 1. Y'all with me? Say, I am. Uh, but there were also false prophets among the people. He's referring to the Old Testament here, the fact that in the Old Testament there were prophets that spoke for God, and there were also prophets that uh, did not speak for God. There are false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. And then listen to the different attributes it gives false teaching. Number one, they will secretly introduce destructive heresies. A heresy is a teaching of a doctrine that falls outside what the Bible teaches. And so, number one, the quality is, or not the quality, the attribute is that they deceitfully present heresies or doctrines that are not true. It says, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them. So they don't worship the Jesus we worship. They don't they don't have anything to do with real truth. In fact, they openly deny the truth is what it's telling us here. Completely different gospel. False teachings have a completely different gospel. It says they are bringing swift destruction on themselves. Listen to verse 2. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. Chuck Swindoll says this about the beginning or, or verse 2. He says that this quality, we don't have time to really dig into this, we got so much to go over today, is that 
cults and false teaching unashamedly model sensuality. When it talks about depraved conduct and bringing the way of truth into disrepute, they unashamedly model sensuality. Verse 3, let's look at the last one. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. So the fourth attribute is they selfishly represent greed. Everything they do is for profit. Everything they do is to make a buck. It says a butt, to make a butt. They do that too. But uh, their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. Again, we're going to look at Mormonism today, or they like to be referred to because the term Mormonism is not really politically correct to them, even though they have a book called the Book of Mormon. But they like to be referred to the LDS. Now, by way of preface, let me just tell you this. Uh, LDS people and Mormons, the ones that I've known in my life, are some of the most moral, some of the most upright people that I've ever met. Uh, They are kind, and they are good people, so to speak. So this is not a personal attack that we're giving today. If you have someone in your life that is Mormon and you get along with them, great. And they're the ones you can call when you're in a pinch and things like that. Today is not personal. Today is really twofold. It's historical. We're going to look at the history. And more importantly, it's going to be theological. Now, the reason we're going over this is because even inside the church, there seems to be some confusion about uh, whether LDS or Mormons are our Christian brothers or sisters. In fact, uh, there's a very popular Christian celebrity named Dallas Jenkins. Does anybody know who that is? Uh, He created the Chosen series. You've probably watched, I've watched one or two episodes of the Chosen series. He created that. His dad was really popular in the Christian world, uh, wrote the Left Behind books. Uh, He's been quoted as saying and made very clear that he believes that Mormons can be our brothers and sisters in Christ. So let's take a look at it and see if this, in fact, is true as we unpack some of these orthodox beliefs. First, let's go over the origin, because the origin of how Mormonism was founded is very important, and it really gives us one of the first, really the first mark of a cult. It was founded in 1832 by Joseph Smith, where he claims that an angel named Moroni visited him. That sounds like a pizza place in New York City, Angel Moroni's, you know what I mean? Uh, visited him, and I'm not making fun, okay? I just, this is just how I am, okay, y'all? So if you, again, don't, don't judge me on, you know, cutting jokes and stuff. I do it on us all the time, right? And so but he claims that an angel named Moroni visited him and showed him where something referred to as the gold plates were buried. The gold plates were a divine revelation from God meant to add on to the scripture that we already had. Now, let's tie this into what scripture says in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6, six through 9. And let's think about this for a minute. In Galatians 1, 6 through 9, it says, I'm astonished that you were so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to, here's the phrase, a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to, listen, it's all about the gospel, pervert the gospel of Christ. And here's the key in verse 8. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Joseph Smith receives a gospel in this visit from this angel. 
that is a gospel that is, as you're going to see today, completely opposite of what the Bible believes the gospel is. Furthermore, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, it tells us this, Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. The first mark of a cult that needs to give you some pause and needs to give you a check in your spirit is when a belief system or a teacher that founded a particular belief system says that they were visited by an angel or a divine being. Almost every single cult that has been started or different belief system outside of Christianity, the founder says, an angel visited me or a divine being visited me. In those systems, if they're given a gospel other than the gospel of grace that we believe, who was it that visited them? It was a demon or it was Satan. My belief is some of the larger cults that have started, it was Satan himself masquerading as an angel of light. But if it's not Satan, then it's a demon. That's why this series is so important. You know, we're starting a spiritual warfare series in November, but really we're kicking it off four weeks early by talking about these different types of cults. Mormonism, along with Buddhism, guess what? Buddha was visited by a divine being in the caves where he came up with some of his writings. Uh, Muhammad, uh, he was visited by, guess what? An angel of light that gave him this divine word. Uh, These different belief systems, they worship a demon or Satan. That's why this is very, very important for us to cover. Let's look at those foundational beliefs, though. Number one, let's look at revelation. And when I say revelation... When I was a young Christian and before I got saved, whenever I heard the word revelation, I immediately thought of the book of Revelation, like end time stuff, right? I don't mean that. When I say revelation, I mean the definition of revelation that is the divine or supernatural disclosure to humans of something relating to human existence or the world. For Christians, our revelation is the Bible. And in Christianity, we have what's known as a closed canon of Scripture. In other words, canon means that divine inspiration of the Bible. When we put together the 66 books of the Bible, we scrutinized it. And I don't have time to get into, you can study on your own about the Council of Nicaea, all those different things. But when we scrutinized and double-checked and looked at all these different things to make sure we got the right ones in there, the 66 books of the Bible, that's all there is. It is a closed canon. In other words, we never add to that closed canon of the scripture, and we never take away from that closed canon of the scripture. What we seek to do in Christianity is we want the Bible, and the Bible is the exact representation of the Bible that was written thousands of years ago, 2,000 to 5,000 years ago. Does that make sense to everybody? We never revise it. We never change it. There may be different translations that take place, okay? Uh, And we try to put it in more modern English and different things like that. Uh, And I would say that none of them are perfect, but it's as close as we can. We never add to, we never take away. It's a closed canon. The LDS actually has four total books that they consider to be holy. They refer to them as the four standard works. The first one, interestingly enough, is the King James Version of the Bible. The second is what's known as the Doctrine and the Covenant. The third is the Pearl of Great Price. And then the fourth, which is 
The standard by which everything else is evaluated, even the Bible, is what's known as the Book of Mormon. Joseph Smith himself said this about the Book of Mormon. Take away the Book of Mormon and the Revelation, and where is our religion? We have none. Now, in studying almost three or 400 pages uh, this past week and listening to 20-some-odd hours of lectures on Mormonism from Christians and Mormons and all kinds of different people, when it comes to the four standard works, there are really five problems that I see with it. Now, the second mark of a cult, and at the end of the sermon, I'm going to put these marks of a cult up for you, and you can take a picture with your phone. In fact, I would encourage you to take pictures of all these slides so that you can remember some of these things, okay? But the second mark of a cult that you'll find is, they do this in the LDS, they do it in Jehovah Witness, we're going to talk about them one week, is a minimization or a reinterpretation or an adding to the Bible. In cults, and I'm spending more time on this because as we go through the rest of the points of orthodoxy, what you're going to find is everything we believe is based off of Scripture, Everything they believe is based off of their four holy books. And so I'm making sure that we're clear on this. There's, there's five problems with the four standard works that I've found, uh, I've found to be very problematic. Number one, the founding of these four books is very, very, very controversial. Again, for time's sake, I don't have enough time to get into all the ins and outs of it. And I don't want to put you to sleep either. The hard part about sermons like these is like putting the cookies on the bottom shelf for everybody and trying to get all those hours of prep down to like 30 to 40 minutes. So let's hope we do a good job today, right? But, but the founding of these books, there's tons of controversy even within the Mormon church where in Christianity, not a whole lot of controversy about that. We all agree on 66 books of the Bible, all the different transcripts and scripts that we have with it. Secondly are the revisions to specifically the Book of Mormon. Lots of revisions. Has anybody ever seen or heard of the show Sister Wives before? Anybody heard of Sister Wives before? It's about a polygamist that has multiple uh, different wives. And there's a joke there, but I'm not going to say it. Okay, y'all, I'm I'm being good today. Are y'all proud of me? Okay, so polygamy, when Mormonism started, was actually one of their core doctrines. But actually, this doctrine was revised in 1890 when the prophet Wilford Woodruff ordered a cessation of plural marriage for political and economic survival. Economic survival, there's that greed. And so they're constantly revising things. The Book of Mormon alone has went through extensive, what they refer to as corrections and revisions. In 1920, there was a major revision. In 1981, there was another major revision. In 1981, then, when they did the revision, it actually gained the subtitle, Another Testament of Jesus Christ. A hundred verses in 1981 were changed without even consultation of the original text, which is those four golden tablets. Uh, the most recent is a 2013 revision. Now, compare that to what we believe as Christians with the Bible. We never revise it. We never add to it. We never, we never do that stuff. We, all, we want it to be as close as we can to the original that we can get. Does that make sense to everybody? Say amen. It's not open for interpretation. Uh, the third problem with their four books are uh, the plagiarism that takes place. Uh, what you'll find in their four works is really verbatim quotations from the King James Version of the Bible, which, by the way, think about this, okay? 
It's no wonder people are kind of drawn to these different cults. It's no wonder that Mormonism in particular and the LDS church that people can be drawn to it because when you read their works, some of what you're reading is completely plagiarized from the Bible. And so you read it and it has these sparks of truth in it, like you're reading something that's plagiarized and you're like, man, that sounds really good. And then you read the crazy stuff and it's like, well, I don't know about that, but man, this one part, they lifted it out of Scripture. Let me give you some examples. Um, Moroni, Moroni, I want to say Moroni for some reason. Moroni chapter 10 is the exact same thing as 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. 2 Nephi 14 is Isaiah chapter 4. 2 Nephi 12 is Isaiah chapter 2. 3 Nephi uh, 11.27 is basically 1 John chapter 5, verse 7, paraphrased. So there's all this plagiarism and paraphrasing that goes on from Scripture. And you're going to see as we go through this with a couple more of these foundational beliefs, some of the things that, like, they copy it, but they slightly change it. Once again, one of those, one of those marks of a cult is there's these little changes to Scripture that you're going to see. Uh, fourthly, they add to the Bible when the Bible says don't, don't add more, any more to it. All through the Bible, the interesting thing about Mormons is they say they believe in the Bible, but the Bible calls them out over and over and over. Don't add to Scripture. Don't add to Scripture. Book of Revelation, right? Don't add to Scripture. And they would say, well, that's just for that book. Well, you changed like 20 things in that book. So, you know, you're, you're adding to it and you're changing it. So that's the fourth thing. And uh, fifthly, I would say the inconsistencies and the contradictions that are found throughout their four books. Uh, the Book of Mormon uh, teaches that the remissions of sins, in other words, how you get saved is through baptism. Uh, Doctrine and Covenant says... How you get saved is through works. Uh, Different doctrines like polygamy, monotheism versus polytheism, the belief that there's one God versus the belief that there's many different gods. It's very confusing. Uh, The history of the church has been rewritten so many times uh, that it's very confusing. There's lots of inconsistencies and there's lots of contradictions. Make sense to everybody? Say amen. I want you to listen to this quote from Warren Wearsby, okay? Warren Wearsby says this. This would be good for us to remember during this series. False teachers use our vocabulary, but they do not use our dictionary. They talk about sin, salvation, inspiration, God, Jesus, and the resurrection, but they don't mean what the Bible means by these terms. So very Christianese in talking, but they don't mean what we mean. Secondly, let's look at the view of God. Christians believe that God the Father is the uncreated creator, the uncaused caused. No one created him. He always was and always will be. God is eternal. This is what we believe. You're going to hear this every week. It's going to give you a good foundation. Psalm chapter 90, verse 2, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Isaiah 57, 15. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity. Let's give you all a couple of New Testament scriptures just out of good measure. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. John chapter 4 seems to suggest that God does not have a body like us when it says God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Let's take a look at what LDS believe. The Mormons believe that God was a man like us. He was born on another planet and he became a God through obedience. 
Alan Parr has a great quote. Alan Parr's got a great YouTube channel. I would encourage you to go follow him. He talks about a lot of great things and very, very solid theologically. He says, Mormons believe that God was once a man like us who existed on another planet, and through obedience, he progressed into being the God of his own planet. Therefore, you and I can also become gods of our own planet as well and progress through obedience. Abraham chapter 4, verse 1. This is in their writing. This is their book. It says, And then the Lord said, Let us go down. Again, you see this polytheism kind of idea. Let us go down. And they went down at the beginning, and they, that is the gods, organized and formed the heavens and the earth. There's a very, very very popular saying in the LDS church that goes like this. As man is, God once was. As God is, man may become. So they believe God had a physical body. They believe that God is married. They refer to his wife as heavenly mother. Uh, uh, Really uh, older Mormon beliefs and the traditional view is is that God was a polygamist and uh, he had multiple different wives that they referred to as heavenly mother. Their view of Jesus. Let's talk about that. Number three. Now, we're going to talk about Jesus and understand this. If you get Jesus wrong, everything else falls apart. Is everybody with me? Say amen. Okay, Jesus, as the New Testament says, is the cornerstone. So if you get Jesus wrong and what you believe about Jesus, everything else falls apart. Uh, Has anybody ever played Jenga before? Raise your hand. You ever played Jenga? Okay. If you pull from the very bottom in Jenga, it doesn't go well. The whole thing falls over and you lose the game. Uh, This is what happens when we talk about Jesus. Christians believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the second part of the Trinity. The Trinity is a very important word. Maybe it confuses you. I've taught on it before, but I don't have time to dig into it this weekend. We do believe in the Trinity. Uh, God is one God and three different persons, but Jesus is the second part of the Trinity. He existed eternally as part of the Trinity as God. John chapter 10, verse 30. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3, it says, He is, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. The LDS, here's what they believe about Jesus. They reject the virgin birth, number one, and they believe that Jesus is the spirit brother of Lucifer. Y'all know who we believe Lucifer is, right? Okay, I wish I had time to get into real details on this. I just, for time's sake, I don't. I'm already going to go over probably. So they believe that Jesus is the spirit brother of Lucifer, and they reject the doctrine of the Trinity, which is foundational in the Christian church. Um, Some would say we don't reject it, but it's clear they do reject it. They believe in three different gods, born at three different times, so on and so forth, so they do reject it. They also believe Jesus was married. And once again, the fundamental view is Jesus was a polygamist and have had many different wives. Let me go ahead and give you the third mark of a cult, okay? I'm going to summarize these at the end and give them on a chart so you can take a picture of it. The third mark of a cult, because you've heard me talk about women, polygamy, women, women, right? Polygamy. The third mark of a cult is they under or overemphasize the role of women. What I mean is every single cult does one of two things. They either look at women and say they are goddesses that should be worshipped, overemphasizing their role, or they look at them and they underemphasize their, their role and they make them less than humans. I'll let you guys decide what the LDS believes about women here because in some 
cults, they look at women merely as having kids, and that's about all you can do. So they believe that all people ever born lived with God as his spirit children pre-mortally. So before you were born, you existed pre-mortally with God, and they believe that this also includes Jesus, that he was here uh, before uh, he was born. LDS Apostle Dellen H. Oaks, in a speech entitled Apostasy and Restoration, said this, The Trinity is not one God. This doctrine is apostate. In their holy book, Doctrines and Covenants, 130, verse 22, it says this, Like most Christians, Latter-day Saints believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and the creator of the world. That sounds like us, doesn't it? He's the Son of God. He's the creator of the world. Just like all the other Christians, this is what we believe. Be careful. However, Latter-day Saints hold the unique belief that God the Father and Jesus Christ are two distinct beings. Polytheism, different gods. Not one God, three different persons, different gods. Latter-day Saints believe that God and Jesus are wholly united in their perfect love for us. Just don't have time to get into the heresy. But that each is a distinct personages, personage with his own perfect glorified body. Number four, their view of the Holy Spirit. Everybody doing good? Everybody hanging in there? Got your brains turned on? Look at your neighbor and say, man, this is good stuff. This is steak right here. Hopefully you're not confused so far. As we talk about this belief of their view of the Holy Spirit, you're going to be totally confused. Okay, y'all? Completely confused, okay? But I've got a point with it, okay? Christians believe this about the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is God. He is the third person of the Trinity. He is eternal. He is omnipotent. He is omnipresent. And he is an omniscient being. If you don't know what those words mean, go look it up, okay? Uh, He shares all the attributes of deity with the Father and the Son. And he is one with the Father and Son in unity. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. The LDS believe this. Now, I'm going to give you a quote of what the LDS believes instead of pulling from their four works because we'd be here way too long, okay? So this quote kind of summarizes uh, what they say they believe about the Holy Spirit. Parley P. Pratt, one of their prophets, said this. There is a divine substance, fluid, or essence called the Spirit. Sounds like cologne or something, doesn't it, y'all? So it's a substance. It's an essence. It's not a person as we believe. Holy Spirit is a man, referred to as a he, and he's a person. And that's important for you to know because when you look at the Holy Spirit as a person, you can have a personal relationship with him. If you look at him as a substance or like the force from the Jedi, you know what I'm saying? You can't have a personal relationship with him. There is a divine substance, fluid or essence called the Spirit, widely diffused among these eternal elements. This divine element or spirit is immediately active or the controlling agent in all holy, miraculous powers. The purest, most refined, and subtle of all these substances is the one least understood or even recognized by the less informed among mankind. That is the substance, ah, the substance called the Holy Spirit. I got to be honest with y'all. I have no idea what he said. And in reading what they believe about the Holy Spirit, you quickly find when we talk about contradictions and things, what in the world are they talking? I have no idea what they believe. Totally confusing. Totally confusing. Anybody know what he meant by that? I I got no clue. Okay? 
Got no clue. Let me ask y'all a question. Is life confusing enough? You ever wake up some days going, God, what do you want me to do? What am I supposed to do? Should I tie my shoe right now or leave it untied? You know what I mean? Like even little decisions, it's like, man, what you will find in cults is they will take very important things and in order to sound mystical and in order to sound hyper-spiritual, they will confuse those things with statements like this where you're still standing at the end going, what in the world? God is not the author of confusion. Confusion. Now, I say that, and if you're sitting in here and you're like, I don't know what we believe about the Holy Spirit, go study. You haven't done any digging, most likely. You haven't looked at it. What's the Trinity? Well, you're probably not going to get it in 30 minutes on a Sunday. You're going to have to actually study, do your due diligence, be a student of the Word. But confusion about the Holy Spirit. Number five, what's their view of salvation? Christians believe this about salvation. We believe Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9. Let me read it for you. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Amen, Rev Church? Amen. LDS believes this, Second Nephi. Listen to what it says. So, so let me remind you. We believe we are saved by grace through faith. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. Second Nephi. For we know that it is by grace we are saved. Does that sound familiar? Comma, after all we can do. You see? After all we can do. Add a little bit of a difference there, and it becomes completely untrue. They really believe in a righteous life, uh, through baptismal regeneration, or they believe in uh, being saved through a righteous life, baptismal regeneration, and then to get to the highest form of heaven, which I'm going to go over next, they also believe that you have to be married because married people are, are holier than uh, people that aren't married, even though we cuss more. Amen, y'all. <laughs> you know, my wife and I went to Knoxville the other day, and I don't know if any other men in here can relate to me, and I'm not saying all women are like this, just every woman I've ever known. And so uh, she's like, where do you want to go eat? And I'm like, you know what's coming. You pick. Okay, well, let's go here. No, I don't want to go there. Yeah. Well, where do you want to go? I really don't care. You just pick. Okay, let's go here. Well, no, I don't want to go. You know what I mean? She can't make her mind up. Okay, I'm not hating, okay? Again, I've got some Mormon friends. I love them. I love them when they come to my house. So I invite them in. We talk, you know? But, but it's like that. It's like they can't pick where to eat. Like, what do you believe about the Holy Spirit? What do you believe about these different things? Let's look at the last uh, picture of orthodoxy, uh, the view of the afterlife. Christians believe in heaven and hell. Okay, it's pretty black and white. Heaven and hell. Uh, we believe in heaven. It's also referred to as paradise, eternal life encapsulated best really in John 3.16. Even if you're not a church person in here, you probably have heard John 3.16, seen it on a bumper sticker. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal 
life. You believe in Jesus, you put your trust in him, you surrender everything to him, you can go to heaven and have eternal life. We also believe in hell, which is also referred to in scripture as Hades, Gehenna, gnashing of teeth, weeping, uh, the eternal death. 2 Thessalonians 1.9, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Uh, just to add on to this, what we believe will happen to Satan and his demons can be found in Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and there they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now, this is what's important to know about Christianity. We believe this, and I hope everybody listens to me as I say this, okay? We believe, if you haven't noticed, we believe that today is the day of salvation. We don't believe it's based off your works, whether you've got to get baptized later, none of the stuff you can do. We believe that anyone in here, anyone watching online, right now in this moment, through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, can surrender your life, and through the grace of God by faith, right now you can be saved. Is everybody with me? Say amen. amen. That's what we believe, and that is the good news of Jesus, because it's not based off of anything you do. The LDS believes in three levels of heaven, and they also believe in hell. The final mark of a cult, okay, and we're going to go over these at the end, okay. The final mark of a cult is there are levels to heaven or levels of righteousness. It's usually motivated by getting more money out of people, okay. I'm telling you guys, when I, when I was studying the levels of heaven, I felt like I was in the Marvel universe. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, it's like... I don't know, for y'all that don't know, the Marvel Universe is like based off comic books and it's getting kind of lame now because people have died and they're just like, we'll go over to another timeline and we'll erase this and we'll do this. And it's just kind of, that's what I felt like studying this, uh, their, their view of the afterlife. They believe in three different levels of heaven. The first is the celestial kingdom, which is where people go that are married, go to church, are baptized, they have good works, they tithe, and this is the highest level of heaven that leads to godhood. The second level of heaven is the terrestrial kingdom, and this is where single people go uh, that are good people, and even people that aren't even Mormon can go to this level of heaven, the terrestrial kingdom. The third level is the telestial kingdom. This is for the bad people, the criminals, the thieves, the adulterers, and so forth. They do believe in hell, but they believe hell is reserved for Satan and his followers. If I had time, I would give you the fundamental belief and the original belief of who they believed Satan's followers were. Uh, it's really crazy, uh, but they have revised it, so I won't do that. Uh, but they believe in hell, that it's for Satan and his followers. And hell is also reserved for those that were Mormon that have since turned away from the faith. So you got a better chance if you're not Mormon because you can get to the second level of heaven. Okay, seriously, seriously. I mean, I'm not really, really not trying to be funny. That's really the truth. They also believe, and this is where it gets a little strange, and this is where it's just so, like, if, if it's not different enough already from what we believe in orthodoxy, it's different now. They believe in what's called exaltation, uh, which is they believe that after you're dead, you can go to the celestial heaven, which is the highest form of heaven, if your loved ones perform certain rituals and baptisms on your behalf. This is why the LDS is so good with family trees and with family history. 
And they've started some of those companies like, you know, Ancestry.com is because they encourage their people to go back through the history of their family tree and all the people that have died do these rituals, do these baptisms in their name so that they can go to the celestial heaven and then they can go on and be the God of their own planet. The saying is this about exaltation. Salvation is resurrection, but exaltation is Godhood. Right now, as we speak, there are Mormons that are being baptized on behalf of dead people. Again, in the Christian church, today is the day of salvation. Make a decision now because to be absent from the body is either to be present with the Lord or to be in hell. Completely different. Now, I would be remiss if I didn't add this in because as I teach through this today, hopefully you're thinking to yourself, I've got a friend that's a Mormon. I've got a family member that's LDS, and I love them. They're good people, man. Again, upright people, moral people, usually clean-shaved. You know, they don't believe in drinking and coffee, drinking coffee, but other than that, they're okay people. You know what I'm saying? Like, and if that didn't make you think it was crazy, they don't have coffee, y'all. Can you believe that? No hot drinks. And so, so maybe they're, they're really good people, and you're going to have a burden for them. You're going to think, man, how... Do I begin to pray about sharing the good news of the true gospel of Jesus Christ to expose this false belief system? I would tell you this simply. Read through the New Testament with them. Read through the New Testament of the Bible with them. When they can't pull something out of context, when there's no contradictions, read through that with them because the New Testament clearly calls out these different false belief systems. Let me go over the marks of a cult one more time. If you guys go ahead and just put... All those up for me, please. Uh, the marks of a cult, the very last chart that we're going to do. And I just want to go back to the scripture that we took a look at. Y'all still with me? Say, I am. Number one mark I would tell you is uh, the founder typically has a visit from a divine being or an angel. Again, scripture clearly calls this out, usually some kind of mysticism. Somebody visited me. God came down and visited me. Uh, secondly, there is a minimization, reinterpretation, or adding to scripture. In other words, we want to make this say what we want it to say, not what the Bible says. Now, what did we talk about were those first two marks found in 2 Peter chapter 2? first two marks that really Scripture gave us was they deceitfully present heresies or they openly deny the truth. Clearly, one of the marks of cults is that. Thirdly, uh, they over or underemphasize the roles of women. Just to reiterate, women are either goddesses that we should worship or women are really less than human and they're just kind of like baby-making machines, poly, uh, polygamy and all these types of things. The third attribute found in 2 Peter chapter 2 was unashamedly model sensuality. False teaching unashamedly models sensuality. Always something weird about sex and women and you know who can be married and the role of a woman in the house when it comes to cults. Y'all still with me? Say amen. And the last one, and then we'll pray and be out of here, is there's levels of heaven. Always levels of righteousness, heaven. Uh, all these different things that really are sealed when you put your trust in Christ, and they're typically used to manipulate people. The fourth mark found in 2 Peter chapter 2 was they selfishly represent greed. They selfishly represent greed. Levels of heaven. The more you give, the more you do, the better chance that you're going to go to the celestial kingdom. Make sense to everybody? Say amen. amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for today. God, I thank you for this church, and Lord, I pray for this church, Lord.
Uh, I really believe we are in a season where it's time for some of us to get off the milk. And God, milk is so good. We love it. Milk is not bad, but it's time for some of us to gain some knowledge and some theology in these foundational beliefs so that we can lead our families well, so that we can teach our kids effectively, so that we can identify things when we're in the world that are not true. False teachings and wolves all around us, God. Lord, I just pray that you use this series to get us closer to you so that we can be more effective in preaching the gospel and reaching people that are far from you. We love you, Lord. You are awesome. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Amen. We love you guys. If you're encouraged by today's message, be sure and rate us and subscribe on iTunes.